Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The 21st century is going to be one long, continuous journey to transform the global energy system from black to green energy. And, and that's why we committed ourselves to fundamentally transform our company. Hello, this is Owen Bennett-Jones. Welcome to Make or Break, where I speak to remarkable people who reached a moment where they just had to make up their mind. With guests spanning from across the business world, we'll unpack those critical moments and explore how these CEOs and entrepreneurs managed uncertainty. My guest today is Jakob Boss, the Senior Vice President of Orsted, a Danish multinational power company that produces the bulk of Denmark's energy. Today, Orsted is the largest developer of offshore wind power, accounting for almost 30% of the world's capacity. In fact, nearly all of the energy that Orsted produces comes from renewable sources, and it's been described as the most sustainable energy company in the world. But that wasn't always the case. The company used to be known as Dong, which stood for Danish oil and natural gas. Heavily invested in coal and other fossil fuels, Dong was responsible for almost a third of Denmark's CO2 emissions. In the mid-2000s, as public awareness of the climate crisis grew, Dong found itself besieged by anti-coal protests. And in a stark contrast to much of the fossil fuel industry, the leaders at Dong found themselves increasingly in agreement with the protesters. The key moment came in 2009 when Jakob Boss and the then CEO Anders Eldrup announced that the company would be switching from black to green. Uh, we believe in, in, a, in a world that runs entirely on, on green energy and we basically th- believe that, that this is the way the world is, is going, so we better get started early on. As they set out ambitious targets to transform the company's reliance on fossil fuels, Boss and his senior colleagues faced considerable pushback from within the organization. People thought they were making a colossal mistake, but they persevered and managed to pull off one of the most extraordinary and profitable transformations of a company in the modern age. So, the question is, how did they do it? Jakob Boss, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Let's go back to 2005. Dong was making money, right, out of oil and gas. It was going pretty well. It was indeed. Our core business was in, in fossil fuels and, and, and more specifically in, uh, in oil and gas. We had... Uh, significant offshore operations in in the Danish and the Norwegian and the British North Sea. Our core focus was in fossil fuels. Then in in 2006, Dong acquired five other um, major energy companies in Denmark to become the sort of undisputed uh, largest uh, Danish energy company. And the companies we acquired were also in fossil fuels. So 
we acquired a very significant Denmark's largest power production based on, on coal. So, so that was uh, sort of the starting point. Can you just give us an impression of the scale of the operation we're talking about here? How many people were you employing? Well, I'd say we were around 6,000 people at that, uh, at that time. You know, energy companies are typically not very sort of people intensive. They're very capital intensive. So you have a lot of, of producing assets. You have a lot of capital invested. Uh, but it actually doesn't take that many people to, to run these companies. But it was by far the, the largest uh, Danish uh, energy company having a, a, around one, uh, one-fifth of all Danes as, as its customers and, and, and by far the, the largest power and heat producer in, in, in Denmark with, with, as I said, also activities around uh, Northern Europe. Okay, and so to look at it another way, to measure it another way, are you able to tell me off the top of your head, in, in 2006, when you're into oil, gas, coal, how much capital had you as a company invested in those fuels? Well, I, what I can tell you is that in 2006, when we made those acquisitions, we acquired other companies just at the sum of 40 billion Danish kroner. 40 billion kroner in dollars, that's roughly? That's, that's roughly eight, $8 billion. So we were out uh, spending significant capital to build an even stronger fossil fuel-based energy company. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's real money. Eight, eight billion is a big investment. Uh, and, and, and so then in 2006, you're going full speed ahead with coal. I mean, you, you, know, you were in oil and gas, and then you've got these coal companies. So tell us a bit about that. How much were you investing? What kind of things were you trying to do? How much money did you hope to make out of those coal investments? Well, we had uh, established this... Uh, Danish market leader in, in, in energy. And our ambition was clearly to expand into, into Europe based on those core competencies in, in oil and gas exploration and production, in coal-fired power plants, gas trading, um, those types of, of business activities. That, that was the clear objective. This company was born out of the liberalization of the European energy markets, where all across Europe, energy markets were being liberalized. And, and that led to a, a significant consolidation. Some of the largest European energy companies were formed as a consequence of, of that liberalization. And our merger and, and consolidation was sort of the Danish equivalent of that a European consolidation. So we were building a company set out to compete with the other major European energy companies like Eon, like RWE, uh, like EDF, and, and, and so forth. When was the first time someone in the company said, you know what, maybe we should be looking at getting out of fossil fuels? Well, in 2006, we actually wrote the first sustainability report for the newly merged company. And I was at that time responsible for our sustainability efforts. So in that report, which came out in the beginning of 2007, it was actually the first time ever that the company or any of the companies that, that were part of the merger put in writing that climate change was an issue and that we ought to do something about it. That was sort of the very first official 
recognition of the challenge of climate change. And just to put that into context, this is 2006, which I think is the same year that Al Gore came out with his An Inconvenient Truth. So, you know, these ideas were becoming popularized and the IPCC, the the international body that sort of does all the calculations and reaches a scientific consensus on all this, that that was you know, underway, I think, or just about underway anyway. So that so there, there was people talking about it and you were quite quick onto it. Yes. So so it's 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 completely right. 2006 was the, was the year where where Al Gore came out with an inconvenient truth. It was also the year where Lord Stern came out with his report saying basically that it's cheaper for the world to address and do something about the challenge of climate change than if we don't do something about it. That that was sort of the first major uh, economic analysis of, of the whole issue of climate change. And then in 2007, uh, the IPCC came out with its assessment report saying that it's more than 90% likely that climate change is, is man-made. Um, so, so there were a number of, of important publications coming out. And that, of course, led us to start reflecting, um, is it really sustainable uh, both for the environment and the climate in general, but also for our company and our business model to be so heavily embedded in fossil fuels and having our entire business model evolve around those, those fuels. When we start to see how big a problem fossil fuels uh, is for, for the world's uh, climate, and, and, and those reflections so, sort of started taking speed from 2006, 2007, and into 2008. Yeah, but the thing is, this is what I find quite striking, is that most oil and gas and coal companies at that time would have you know, been aware of these issues, and they would have written a report probably saying, yeah, this is maybe changing. Let's um, invest a bit in solar. Let's invest a bit in wind. Uh, let's put some adverts out saying we're going green uh, and not actually do much to change the fundamentals of the business. I mean, that would be the normal reaction. Yes, I think that is a, a very precise description of, of, of what many companies were doing. I mean, everybody were sort of experimenting a bit with, with renewable energy on the side, having teams uh, in place to, to, to look into those technologies, build an asset here and there. And, and, and I think that was sort of the general norm in, in, in the energy industry. But the core business, the vast majority of activities was in fossil fuels. And the, uh, all the investment programs, all the, the capital was deployed into to fossil fuels. And the realization we had in 2008 was that long-term the energy system would have to change to, to build a more sustainable energy system that, that, that would not basically destroy our planet. And then I think what we did, contrary to many others, was actually to take the full implication of that. Having done that analysis, we said, that means that we need to embark on this transformation long-term. If we are to have a future and be at the forefront of developing the energy system, then we have to fundamentally change. And that's what we did in 2008. We went public with our analysis, basically laying out all the arguments uh, and, and the insights that we had gained from reading all these different 
reports and talking to uh, to different stakeholders and so forth and saying the 21st century is going to be one long continuous journey to transform the global energy system from black to green energy and we want to be at the forefront of that and and that's why we committed ourselves to fundamentally transform our company and then in 2009 we made it a bit more specific by saying that by 2040 we want to have fundamentally transformed from being 85% black energy and 15% green today. We said at that time that in 2040, we want to reverse that. So we want to be 85% green and 15% black by 2040. And that was an incredibly strong vision um, coming out uh, already in, in 2009, making it that, that concrete at that time. Yeah, so, so just to be clear, in 2009, you're setting this amazing target to completely transform your business, mostly into renewables, by 2040. And in the event, you beat that target. I mean, by a long way, right? Yeah, I mean, we arrived at 90% green energy in 2020. So we, 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 we made it sort of 20 years a- ahead of time. It is an incredible achievement, but I'm still wondering what made you different? Because, again, most companies and not acting on this information with the urgency that you did. So what what are the factors that you think helped you to get this done, get into this position? Well, I think there were a couple of things that that uh, that played to our advantage here. First of all, Denmark is a country which does not have a lot of natural resources. We have always been historically, in a very fragile situation when it comes to our energy supply. Going back to the 1970s, Denmark was 99% dependent on oil from the Middle East. And and then in the 1970s, the oil prices quadrupled in in a short uh, period of time, leaving our small open economy very fragile and exposed to these major oil price increases. And at that time, the Danish society came together in a Herculean effort to say, we don't want that dependence. We want to get out of that energy dependence from the Middle East. And that led to a number of things, including to develop the Danish energy resources in the North Sea, transforming our power plants from oil to coal, uh, developing the district heating system, taking a number of energy efficiency measures, uh, and and last but not least, starting to develop uh, renewable energy also. We were starting to see this coming into the same situation once again, that the world would be shifting and we would end up in another vulnerable position if if we sort of stuck to to a fossil fuel business so so that was sort of one thing uh, the other thing uh, was was uh, was our ceo at the time he was uh, he was uh, a former permanent secretary in the ministry of finance and had spent his entire lifetime in the in the government and so he had seen firsthand the the experiences from the oil crisis in the 70s and how much that left the country in a very vulnerable position, but also being very used to making these large analyses of what is going on in society and and also taking the appropriate measures and decisions. So I think that that was another thing that he could sort of see the strategic ramifications of the changing uh, energy landscape and knowing that if we did not adjust our company in time, we would be left behind. So tell me about 
the investments you'd made, a bit about the numbers, because you, you were invested in oil, coal, uh, and gas. You know, that's, that's not cheap business. So I presume that when you're making this switch, you were writing off some significant investments. Well, not at, not to begin with, because if you sort of look at, at the announcement we made, we said that by 2040, we wanted to transform the company. And that was sort of, for all practical purposes, the the technical uh, lifetime of, of these assets. So so the, f- the first commitment we made was actually to say that within the technical lifetime of the assets, we would be shifting the portfolio from black uh, to green. So every time we take a black asset out of production because it reached technical end of life, we would not renew it uh, we would invest uh, green instead. Uh, that that was the, sort of the fundamental math of 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 that portfolio shift that that we uh, that we announced in in 2009. We were actually developing a very large coal-fired power plant in, in Germany, 1600 megawatts, and at that time we saw that okay, that will sort of still fit in with our plan even if we build it because it it yeah the numbers will still still stack up so to say. But but what we could see especially during 2009, was actually that this coal-fired power plant development project was getting into more and more challenging circumstances. We'd started developing it a couple of years uh, earlier, and there was a big demand in, in, in that part of Germany to have such a coal-fired power plant. They needed to build new capacity. Our company was was a world leader in building efficient coal-fired power plants so we could extract the most energy out of the coal through our advanced combustion processes and so forth. But then all the the things we've talked about regarding climate change, of course, also sort of found its way into the debate about this this coal-fired power plant development. And and gradually we started to see how the the framework conditions that we had originally uh, sort of uh, uh, built into the case started to deteriorate and so forth. Um, The challenge was that we'd already spent 1 billion Danish kroner uh, on uh, on developing the the project, we hadn't taken the final investment decision, but but we had spent a lot of money in 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 this development of the power plant. There was increasing opposition, and 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 the CEO had to make a decision: Do we continue with this, well knowing that we'd already spent so much money developing it, uh, or, or, or or do we not? So, what did he decide? Well, the analysis we made at the time was, and 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 he, I remember a conversation we had where he said, "Well, it would cost twenty billion Danish to invest in that power plant." He said, "Would you rather spend twenty billion on that power plant, knowing that it will be standing there for the next forty, fifty years, it will have an increasingly difficult life with all the debate we're seeing around climate change and 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 CO two, et cetera, et cetera, or would you rather spend that twenty billion on two offshore wind farms, which we were, which we also had the option uh, to build? What would you What would you rather do? They would have an easy life for the rest of their lifetime. They will be sort of in the in the mainstream of of, of what the public increasingly wants, and 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 will be on the on the right trajectory. And of course, if you put it into that perspective, it's very clear that you shouldn't invest in the coal-fired power plant, even if you've spent a billion. We have the benefit in the energy industry of of having to live with our decisions, and because they have such a long 
uh, time horizon, we, we spend probably quite a lot of time thinking about how will this look over the lifetime of the asset. Uh, and and that, that was clearly when you take a 40, 50 year perspective, then uh, it, it, it became very clear to us, this does not make sense. And that's why he had to go to the board of directors in, in uh, December 2009 with the recommendation that we scrap the coal-fired uh, uh, project, which uh, he did, and uh, thereafter committed to never developing or building any coal-fired power plants again. If you're enjoying listening to our podcast and feel inspired by some of the leaders you're hearing make tough decisions in make-or-break situations, you may want to equip yourself with the skills and capabilities to make your own difficult decisions. If so, the Open University's micro-credential, Management of Uncertainty, Leadership, Decisions and Actions is designed for you. Visit openuniversity.co.uk forward slash management to find out more. Allstead's gamble has no doubt paid off, but this overhaul was not as easy as it seems. Just as Dong began spending huge sums of money on renewable power, it was hit by the financial crisis. And then, in 2012, Dong's gas business took another major hit as prices in the US plummeted. All this at a time when the company's debt was soaring in order to pay for the wind rollout. But instead of turning back, they doubled down. To save precious capital, they jettisoned eight businesses, including all gas, hydro and waste-fired power plants. After receiving a much-needed cash injection from Goldman Sachs, by 2014, Dong was saved. And in 2016, wind power earnings began to soar as the technology became ever cheaper. And then, in 2017, Dong sold their North Sea oil and gas business and changed the name to Orsted to reflect its near-complete transformation from fossil fuels to renewable energy. In just 10 years since it began the move from black to green, the company increased its market value by several hundred percent, taking it to nearly $30 billion and making it the most successful green energy company in Europe today. Did you, as an advocate of this change within the company, have to persuade colleagues that you were right and they were wrong. Yes, absolutely. And 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 the the challenge here is of course that we're dealing with the future. So we are dealing with something which is not 100% predictable where I can sort of take out a spreadsheet and say this is how it's going to be. Uh, I can only sort of make my strategic analysis and saying these are the trends we're seeing in the market. This these are the structural trends. This is what it will most likely lead to. There is nothing from what we see in 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 looking ahead, that 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 will make these plants more attractive uh, fr- from an operating uh, perspective than the, what they are today. But sort of moving to that sort of level of analysis, which is not sort of uh, quantifiable with, with on two decimal places, but but is more based on on reading the the structural trends in in the market. That that can be difficult for for some people in a way because they're used to sort of looking at some very precise forecasts and and making their decisions based on on that. No, I mean I I won't ask you your age, but you look uh, uh, a young man. I mean you're a young man now, and this was two thousand and nine. So you know you you were younger still. Uh, I wonder whether you were dealing with older colleagues and whether you had self doubt that you thought you know. Uh, 
maybe they're right and maybe I'm overdoing this. Yeah, you're right. I was I was even younger back then, uh, and uh, and and yes, it was a little bit uh, daunting to 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 engage in these dialogues with people who had spent their entire lifetime in this in this industry, um, and 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 of course knew much more about uh, uh, how to operate a, a coal-fired power plant, how to build one, and 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 had been uh, deeply into to the economics of of these uh, assets. Uh, I had spent a lot of time talking to my colleagues and understanding sort of where they were coming from and understanding what the economics were, so that I believed I knew as much about what was driving the business case and the profitability around these assets, and then adding some of the, the competencies and, and that I brought with me to analyze sort of the broader picture and, and sometimes take that leap of, of faith, uh, you could say, from going from sort of numbers with, with, with a very high amount of certainty and into another type of, of factual analysis where, where you have less certainty on the numbers, but you have a pretty high certainty around which direction things are, are developing. And I think that's probably one of the things I added was this combining the, the, the traditional type of analysis and understanding of the business cases with sort of what, what, what are the trends we are, we are seeing. So you took a risk, but it paid off. Well, I mean, you you could say I I, I took a risk because uh, I couldn't be sure that it would turn out this way, but it, it, it turned out to be a very successful strategy, right? So uh, it turned out that 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 our transformation is 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 one of the most, uh, if not the most significant energy transformation among large energy companies in the world. The the company's uh, market value increased by a factor of, of 10 since uh, from 2014 and on until today so we we've, we've had some uh, we've had some some proofs uh, afterwards that that it turned out to be the exact right strategy and that we actually were uh, significantly ahead of our competitors in making this transformation in this series we've spoken to some guests who made big decisions and it seems some of them say they just did it on instinct others we're following trends and making forecasts. And it seems to me a bit that you're in both camps, instinct and numbers. Is that fair? Yeah, but I think instinct, uh, you shouldn't under underestimate that. Uh, I mean, when, when people say they take uh, decisions on instinct, uh, they probably often have a lot of experience from a, a field. Uh, they, they, they know sort of what's moving and shaking. They've talked to people who, who've looked more into the, to, to what's happening in the future. They've been around for, for years. And then, it, to me, that's also a type of fact. Uh, I mean, if you come in from, from the street and take a decision about something you don't know anything about, you probably not call it instinct. I mean, instinct to me is also when you actually know what's going on, but maybe you haven't sort of done a 20-page report with, with, the, with tons of calculations and stuff. You just have a lot of of indications that this is the right thing to do if you were advising you know a young strategist in the energy sector what advice would you give them as to how to manage their their decision making processes well i'd say that that at first you sort of need to get the direction right you need to understand fundamentally what direction things are moving in and that comes from 
looking at data, it comes from looking at reports, it comes from looking at multiple different domains, it comes from understanding and speaking to, to other people about sort of what's going on. And, 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 and you need to form that, that view. Uh, uh, and and it's 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 not enough sort of to just uh, stick with what you you hope or think or would like. You you need to to sort of triangulate between a number of different data points, and and then once you w- w- once you sort of have the direction right, then you need to think about okay, what is then the implication of this? If this is the long term direction, how do we as fast as possible prepare ourselves for that future, which we. Uh, I believe is 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 gonna come uh, because I think that's that's also a, a a mistake that that many do. They actually do know what the direction is. They do know what the change is. They're just not taking the full implication of it, or or um, or postponing it and say, yeah, yeah, that will happen in some times, and we'll sort of adjust slowly. Uh, that uh, that that has always puzzled me. I mean, if you know where where it's going, why don't you? Spend all your efforts trying to, to 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 prepare for that future which you have uh, seen. Yeah, well, in in this uh, series we've been discussing as a theme managing uncertainty, and you really did that very very successfully. So it's a it's a very striking example of what we're trying to understand. So Jakob Boss, thanks very much for talking to us. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Radio Wolfgang for Audi. It was presented by me, Owen Bennett Jones and it featured Jakob Boss. It was produced by John Joe Devlin and Eli Block, with sound design by Palama Kaufman. The executive producer was Ellie DiMartino. And that brings us to an end of the first series of Make or Break. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'd like to say a big thank you to all of our guests and to The Open University for their support. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a review, and share the series with anyone who you think might find it interesting.